There's some light today, which is a little bit unusual for like a, a November in Oslo. So uh, I am in my travel mode kit, so I hope all of this works uh, more smoothly than what it has done sometimes in the past. iPhone 14 Pro Max, the Rode shotgun mic, whatever thingy they call it on the Pleasant Lightning port. Laptop with my comments. Video looks okay down there. I think it's all right. I think it's all right. If it's not, let me know. If you can't hear me, <laughs> tell me. Oh boy, where do we start today? Um, I talk a little bit about where I am, where I'm going, some of the things I'm doing. Uh, I am back in Oslo, which is super, super, super weird insofar as uh, I left here in Feb 2020. We were all around in Feb 2020. <laughs> we remember what it was like. G'day, Robin. <laughs> I've seen you in some parts of these, some parts of these worlds. Somewhere around these areas, or this side of the world before. Feb 2020, uh, I was here with Ari. It was the last time I was here. In fact, we were here at um, uh, NDC Security in Oslo, and then we went to NDC London, and then we flew home, and we were, it was just like the very, very early stages of COVID, where it was a bit in the news, and it was in China, and we were sort of, you know, I guess, making a little bit of fun of it at the time, because nobody knew that it was actually going to be a really serious thing. And, uh, and we got back to Australia, and then Charlotte moved to Australia around about the same time, middle of Feb, 2020. And of course, we all know what happened then. Like, we just didn't get back uh, until now. So now to like finally, finally be back, it, it feels super surreal because obviously there's so much happened for all of us during that time with the whole pandemic stuff. Uh, not to mention the Twitter stuff, we'll get to that. But, you know, all of that was really, really strange. And, and, and then, of course, the, my personal things, getting married, uh, Charlotte effectively inheriting a family. Like, it's really different to come back to Oslo now. And it's, uh, it was quite surreal for her. It must be more surreal than what I realised, to, to have sort of left thinking that she'd be back in a few months and we'd come and go and we'd sort of enjoy our jet-setting lifestyle around the world. Uh, she's realised the coffee here is really shit. <laughs> Like it's the to be fair, the coffee like everywhere other than Australia is really shit by comparison. If you've not been to Australia and had the coffee, you won't understand. But uh, it is sensational coffee uh, at home in Australia. So we're working through that. Uh, it's cold. It's actually warmer today than usual. It's about five degrees here uh, today. It's been hovering around about zero since we got here. So uh, you know, adjusting to those things. Food different. People different. The kids have been, actually the kids and I have been doing Duolingo for about the last six weeks, trying to uh, get a little bit of an idea of what we're doing. Uh, for those of you not familiar with Duolingo, learning languages, very popular app. Uh, great. It's actually been really good fun. And uh, it's kind of funny because Elle, 10 years old, is sort of, she's almost a little bit surprised everyone here is speaking Norwegian. <laughs> it's like, what did you expect when you came to Norway? You know, it's not going to be Australian English. So we're here this week. I will be speaking at NDC on Tuesday. Now, it's not the big NDC, the really cool one we do, normally do, <laughs> every year. Uh, this is a meetup. It's a free meetup. If you're in Oslo and you can get along to Rebel, where NDC is based now, uh, we will all be there. Charlotte, the kids and I, will be there on Tuesday from 5 p.m. That's going to be super, super cool, being able to actually see some, some folks in person again. Uh, that'll be really good. Uh, most of this trip is is going to, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of business things, but I'm going to try and do a bunch of personal stuff as well. So we're going to have like another wedding dinner because this part of the world kind of got missed and a bunch of our friends and family here. So uh, so I get to get dressed up again, which is it's unusual for me. 
Unusual. We are going on to other places. I did a, a little tweet with, uh, as uh, I think Ari and I were on the plane, I did a little tweet just before we took off, uh, and I put the flag. So we're going to be here. We're going to be in uh, Denmark for a little bit. We're going to be in Finland for a little bit in the bottom bit and the top bit going up to the Arctic Circle. Um, we found ice carts. How's this? So you can get go-karts that go on the ice with studded tyres. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> going to go do that. We're going to be in Stockholm for a bit as well. We're going to be back in Norway, spending more time here, and we're going to be in Singapore for a bit, just to try and mix things up on the way home. Uh, so if you're around any of those places, you may see me at an event or bump into me. We will do a few of those. Looking at the comments here, uh, Brennan says, took you long enough, Troy. I assume you mean long enough to actually do this update. I know it's probably like the latest I've done it, but uh, we literally got here midday Friday, Oslo time, which is late in the night, Australia time. Um, Jet lag and all the rest. Of, oh, yeah, I'm figuring out what jet lag's like again. That's a pain in the ass. Jet lag and all the rest of it and going out and doing things. It just took me until now to be able to do this update. But I'll, uh, I'll get a little bit more on track next time. The next one will be from Copenhagen. Wayne's here. Timbo's asked if it's a different camera to normal. Uh, feels weird. Well, it feels different. I'll watch it back later on. But certainly from what I can see... It, the, the picture on the iPhone looks sharp. I've got a good bit of light here, which is all right. But yes, it is my iPhone in an apartment on the other side of the world. Uh, as Brendan has said, thank you, 1,000 kilometres from home. Nick 007's in London, so we're almost, almost on the same time zone there. Uh, okay. Oh, boy, why don't we just get straight into it? <laughs> straight into the, uh, the contentious bits. Actually, where's my list? Let me see. Back in Europe. Twitter exodus. Oh, boy. Hmm. This is one that I think there will be few things I can say that everyone agrees on. But one thing I can say, which I think everyone can agree on, is that it has created a lot of conversation. Now, this, of course, is the situation with uh, Twitter and in particular uh, Elon coming along, buying the thing, a bunch of people being unhappy about a bunch of stuff, uh, a bunch of people going to Mastodon, including myself. I have a Mastodon account. Uh, I just tweeted, tweeted. I don't know. I don't do much on there. Messaged about doing this video. So I, I do use it very sparingly at the moment. That might change in the future. I don't know. We'll see what happens. And then, of course, all the factors around why people have left. Now, I'm going to caveat... All of this, just simply by saying, I, this is going to sound super, super obvious, but it kind of needs to be said, I can only comment based on my own experiences. Here are the things that I'm seeing. This is how I feel about it. This is what I observe. Uh, your mileage may vary. And, and this is really one of, the, one of the really critical things I think people understand. Like Everyone has a different experience around many events in life, including their interactions with a social media platform. Now, those experiences may differ based on a number of factors. Uh, so, for example, uh, I predominantly use Twitter to read what people tweet at me. Uh, I predominantly use it to read my mentions. Like when I get up in the morning, I'll get a cup of coffee and I'll go through and I'll go over my mentions because I find a lot of interesting stuff on there. People will see something interesting and I'll go, hey, Troy, I saw this interesting thing. And I'll go, oh, yeah, that was interesting. Thank you for that. I use it to broadcast the things I'm doing such as this video, or when I blog. I use it probably much less than other people to consume just a feed of information from people I follow. I certainly use it for that, 
but it's more like, oh, I got a little bit of downtime, I'll just check in and I'll see what's happening. And I personally, you can't say I'm wrong for this because it's just the bit that I like, I like the variety. I like being able to see some InfoSec stuff and then there's some things about cars and there's some things about 3D printing. And I just follow some random stuff. I like seeing Neil deGrasse Tyson. I like seeing what he has to talk about. I like that diversity in the content. And I appreciate one of the things that people are enjoying about Mastodon is that they go to, say, the InfoSec Mastodon instance, and they just see predominantly InfoSec stuff. And that's fine. Different, different ways of using the platform. Point is different experiences. Now, there are other things about me that are also different. One of them is where I am in the world. And one of the things I think is coming through in here is depending on where you are in the world, your experience may differ a little bit because, of course, things get tailored. Now, as people have also said, uh, my experience might be different if I am not in a group that gets targeted by nasty comments, uh, certainly not to the extent that other people are. And that's a very, very fair comment, too, because that's a massively important thing to some people, particularly if they're on the receiving end of some nasty vitriol. Now, I'm occasionally on the receiving end of nasty vitriol, including death threats, which, which are not fun, but not to the same extent, I would imagine, as other people. So point is, different experiences, different priorities, different viewpoints. Now, with that said, I found that a lot of people were obviously very, very vocal about their feelings for Twitter. A lot of stuff they're unhappy about. For me... For me, in the way I use the platform, I had not observed anything functionally different. Now, I want to clarify what I mean by that, because even people are like, oh, but they fired like part of the workforce, uh, and he did this thing that was really nasty, and then I didn't like his views on that. It's like, yeah, that's fine, but this tweet, in fact, I'll read the tweet, and then I'll, I'll give you more, more uh, substance to it. So I said, what's the driving force behind many InfoSec people jumping from Twitter? Unhappy with Elon's cuts, or who he's letting back onto the platform, a genuine belief he's driving into the ground. Other, everything seems normal from here. Why the exodus? Now, <laughs> I'm just fascinated at how much offence people can take so easily at things that are so sincere and innocent in intent. But that does seem to be one of the defining characteristics of Twitter. And I'm sure that if you spent a bit of time on there, you would have noticed this yourself. People do like to get upset. How many times we joked about it and went, oh, I got onto Twitter and somebody was upset. Anyway, some people got upset. And in fact, it was very polarizing. It was very, very polarizing, the feedback that came back. And I, and I think that this is possibly analogous to the, to the bigger problem here, where you do have very, very fundamentally opposing viewpoints. And in many ways, that's very, very healthy. But people do get very... They get... The way I always think of this is... When I have an interaction with someone online, I sort of go, is this consistent with the way someone would behave if I came face to face to them at a conference or down the street? Would they talk in that way with that same level of sometimes vitriol or would they be very different? And of course, when someone is, once someone is behind a jet lag, once someone is behind a keyboard, they do tend to behave in ways that aren't really consistent with the way they'd be in person and probably not consistent with the way they genuinely are as a person. Saw a bit of that in this conversation. Now, uh, I'm a little bit like everyone else in that I, I read a lot of what is being said online, media outlets, 
Elon's tweets, other people's tweets. Uh, Stephen King, for example, is really unhappy with Elon at the moment. He's got some reasons for that. Lots of different opposing views, but here's what I boiled it down to, because this is where my tweet thread goes in. I said, um, nothing really, nothing, let me start that again. Nothing really not already covered in the above tweet has come through in the responses. I think these three really cover it, my two cents. So here are the three things that I saw coming through over and over again. Of course, then people argued with this, but we'll get back to that. Number one, people argued with this, but hear me out. I don't think there's any doubt Twitter was bleeding money and needed massive changes. It might have been an awesome, fun place to work, but clearly cuts had to happen. The big issue here is they appear to have happened with little compassion. Now, I don't think people are arguing about the bit about it having happened with little compassion, because certainly when you read not just the headlines, but when you read the first person accounts of people who got the chop from Twitter, it sounds absolutely terrible. It sounds a miserable way to let go of people. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's just that Elon is a dickhead and he's, people like to use a narcissist word and things like that. Uh, maybe there's part of that. Maybe part of it as well is that this is often what happens when an organisation lets go of a big swathe of the workforce. It's like literally just chop your access is gone immediately. This happens over and over and over again. And I can think of multiple examples of people I know personally who like, particularly because of the role they got, they literally had to just be chopped and then they're told about it. Uh, and it's for all sorts of reasons, uh, you know, because of things that they might still have access to or because of the things that they could do within the organisation. It is a heartless, cruel way of chopping people. I can see why it happens in certain circumstances. Now, whether that was necessary here or not, I don't know. Very bad optics appear to have little compassion. Now, the bleeding money bit. So people would argue about the bleeding money bit. Uh, now, the... the the problem is people go, look, we look at the SEC filings and this is the returns from Twitter and they're actually profitable and they made all this money. And then you look at the likes of Elon saying, well, we were losing $4 million a day. Uh, and one of the threads today was like, well, would you believe someone who called the feature of his car autopilot, even though it can't completely self-drive itself? I was like, what? <laughs> like, how did you jump from that to, to this? There's a lot of other commentary also about other social media platforms being massively overstaffed for the nature of the organization and for where they sit financially. Uh, and of course, Facebook slash Matter is the other one that, that comes to mind at the moment. Now, th this is a, a really, really hard thing because you're like dealing with people's lives when you do make cuts. Uh, and some of the press we've seen around what's going to happen to some of the people, so particularly those that might have been there as migrant workers, what happens if they get cut? Can they even stay in the country? It's a terrible situation for them. It's enormously stressful. Point remains, though, that there seems to be a lot of dissent with the way people have been treated as part of the cuts. And that's a perfectly reasonable position to take. Now, is it sufficient to jump off the platform altogether? Well, that's a very personal thing, isn't it? Uh, for, for me, no, there's lots of reasons why. For other people, yes. Then there are a bunch of people who then use Twitter to talk about how unhappy they were with Twitter and they're not going to do anything else to help Elon with his platform, which they describe in many, many tweets about how happy they, unhappy they were with Twitter. Uh, i got to say, I did take some amusement in seeing the platform that is so reviled by some people being used. Uh, and of course... It, if you read through Musk's tweets, he's obviously reveling in stuff like this. He's like, please keep using Twitter to complain about Twitter. And 
Let me take a, a tangential step for a moment because a, a lot of this does seem to focus around him as a personality as opposed to specifically what's happening with the platform. Now, I will admit I have not been a fan at all of Elon for many, many years for many, many reasons. Uh, I think the hyperbole around uh, Tesla has just been ridiculous. Go and search on Twitter for my name and Tesla and you'll see lots of negative comments here for various reasons. I think the things that some, some of the stupid shit he's done and said is just unfathomable. Uh, you know, the, the, the cave stuff in Thailand and the comment about the pedo guy going to, it's just, that is just the dumbest, stupidest possible thing to say. Other things he said that have literally got him into hot water with the SEC because they start to constitute either insider trading or God knows what else that violates securities law. You just sort of look at it and go, how can someone who is obviously otherwise very intelligent say such stupid stuff? That aside, <laughs> you can't argue with the fact the guy has had a lot of runs on the board as well. You don't sort of become the world's richest person by, by being a dickhead the entire time. Uh, and even when you say that, yeah, and then people jump up and they go, well, it wasn't really him. It was other people behind him. And then he stole this and he did that. And so good. Let's just say he's been very successful and you can pigeonhole him at whatever level you like. The point is the guy clearly isn't completely stupid. Uh, now, you can make the same argument about Trump, I guess, <laughs> so this, without descending straight into the politics, which is one of the big issues with the whole thing. Uh, now, where do we go from here? Uh, yes, the bit about Musk. I find him, I find him entertaining to watch. I think that's that's a reasonable way of putting it. I find him entertaining to look at the Twitter timeline and to see the way he's communicating, and to think that this is the richest person in the world that's behaving in that way. And I don't necessarily think that's endorsement or a good guide. You know, behave like this, and you will do well in life. I just find it almost paradoxical. To on the one hand be so wealthy and successful and clearly intelligent and on the other hand communicate in that fashion. Anyway, I'll go on. That was number one around clearly the platform needing to have some cuts. Number two, I was happy to see some of the people booted from Twitter last year go. And I was. Uh, and uh, again, I said this very publicly. In fact, I mentioned death threats before. Part of the reason I got death threats was because I was not only happy to see Trump get kicked off after the whole storming of the Capitol stuff, uh, but I was also very vocal against the nature of the content on Gab. I feel it's hard to tell the Twitter story without talking about Gab, because we're going to come back to the echo chamber thing in a moment as well. Now, Gab is between Gab and Parler, and a lot of my commentary on Gab was because Gab had a data breach and it was very, very topical in terms of the things I talk about. But Gab sort of became one of the places where a lot of people left the likes of Twitter and went to because they felt that their voices were being silenced on Twitter. And to some extent, that was true. A bunch of people got booted for all sorts of reasons, many of them, frankly, very good reasons. The inciting of violence is a good reason to boot someone off. And again, I've been very vocal about that in the past. I'll finish my tweet. I was happy to see some of the people booted from Twitter last year go. However, I do worry about the echo chamber that creates, especially as it relates to American politics, as an outside observer, kangaroo emoji, this has only appeared to further divide people. Now, going back to the Gab situation, a lot of people fled from Twitter and Facebook to Gab. If you have not spent time on Gab, 
regardless of your political persuasions, do it just to understand what I'm trying to say here. It is such a, I think echo chamber is a fair word, it's such an echo chamber of the same messaging over and over and over again, which is so in many ways inconsistent with the views of people who were then remaining on the other platforms. And the concern that I have, and this is something that Elon's pointed out as well, and I think it's a very valid concern, is that if you have a situation where you sort of divide communities down into very opposing views and you're left in the community that echoes your view, that just reinforces your position, you get less of the other one. When you go through and you have a read of what's on Gab, you'll see the same messaging over and over again, the same viewpoints. There is a very strong alignment to the same ideologies in life. Now, again, keeping in mind, I'm Australian. I spend a well, I used to spend a lot of time in the US. I've seen a lot of it. One of the first things, actually, I remember when I started doing a lot of travel to the US is a friend saying, you almost need to think of the US as being 50 different little countries rather than 50 different states because the views can be so strongly different between them. And particularly when you get to uh, views, and I realise a bunch of people listening to this be from the States and they're probably going, what the hell does he know? But again, I spent a lot of time there and in other places around the world. So I think I have a fairly broad view. Uh, the views around things like religion, guns, abortion, sexuality, race, they're very, very polarising in different states of the same country. I find that fascinating as an observer. I mean, I expect when I go to China, it's going to be very, very different to when I go to the Netherlands. Like, <laughs> But they are fundamentally different countries with different cultures and different mindsets. You go to the US and I feel even between states, you see this change in, in like similarly diverse ways. So the concern that many people have raised here is that when you do end up sort of splitting these communities down and you just hear the same thing over and over and over again, how does that actually help discourse and dialogue if you're only hearing the same things over and over and over again. Now that's, I think that that's the very pragmatic way of putting it. What this thread tended to start descending into though, is lots of comments that feel like they're from one extreme or the other. And, and honestly, it, it, it felt like both. And again, well, I feel like we're, we're talking very predominantly American politics here, left versus right. But this is what a lot of the responses seem to come down to. And you get this one side saying, well, these people are Nazis. And then you get the other side saying, well, these people are snowflakes. And both of those words are, are just ridiculous in different ways. Uh, I just don't know why there's so much hatred between folks within this one country and within this one community. But the idea of booting people out based on based on ideological views that are represented by the masses. And I'm trying to choose my words really, really carefully here. And it, look, if I was to put myself in this sort of spectrum of left to right, I think that I, like most people in this tech industry, would probably be on that, that I don't want to say far left because I do plan as an extreme, but probably on that much more left-leaning, much more left-leaning side. But again, the, the concern I have is, is when we sort of go, well, look, this group falls into this category, which we're going to brand with a negative title and we should boot them off just because they fit under this umbrella is a really problematic thing. 
And as I said to someone, when they sort of said, look, you know, you should be sort of be able to be surrounded with your, your people with like-minded views, like, go and have a look at Gab and see how much you actually like the idea of those people all sitting there saying the same stuff and not hearing your side of the story. Boy, this is getting deeper than what I had meant it. That was number two. Number three, as to the platform's ongoing viability, only time will tell, but an imminent collapse would massively surprise me. That much money couldn't have been poured into something on the brink of collapse. And love him or hate him, I'm on the fence, as I've already explained, Elon has had some successes. I think this whole idea about whether the platform will collapse or not is, is one of these things where at least we can empirically measure that later on. Uh, 12 months from now, is it still alive and running fine? Yes or no? <laughs> the two other things around echo chambers and then his treating of people, uh, especially those that did get cut, is, is something that's going to be much harder to put a number on or a clear measure in terms of whether it was necessary or reasonable or not. But as to whether or not the platform will sustain or not, that is a different story. Now, he's been tweeting today. In fact, I added to this thread just to resurrect it a bit before I spoke today. He's been tweeting about all new user signups at a high, hate speech being lower, uh, new things coming on board. He's, he's the owner of the company. Of course he's going to say positive things. <laughs> you know, so... Of course, he's going to say positive things, but by the same time, if he says anything overtly untrue or that that uh, that does start to cross a line, particularly as it comes back to the legal obligations of which he has as CEO to operate the company, then that could be interesting. But at the moment, the information he's sharing constantly each day seems to show that things are going very, very well. Who knows? Time will tell on that one. Rest of my thread here. Notice the audience has gone very quiet. Rest of my thread here, I said, uh, in summary, it feels melodramatic in terms of the mechanical aspects. As a protest, it makes more sense insofar as it can be viewed simply as values no longer aligning. Is that enough to jump? For some, yes. But many with those views are still replying to these tweets. And I just did the hmm face. And my final one there, for what it's worth, I'm a Mastodon here, so I am on uh, infosec.exchange forward slash Troy Hunt. Like others have said, this is me planning a flag on another platform. I don't know which I'll use in the future compared to how I use Twitter. All of this is wait and see, but I'll be here whilst the power remains on. And, and again, there are lots of good reasons I like being on Twitter, not least of which is I do actually like having a variety of uh, different things that I see that aren't just infosec. Now, the, uh, I got quizzed time and time again on different aspects of that thread, even today. And I'll, I'll give you some examples. And I, I do feel that there was a propensity for people to want to, to, want to be melodramatic. I'm going to put it in that term. I know that that's not always a nice term for the people that it's targeted at, but it really felt like people wanted to be angry as opposed to engaging in dialogue. And it goes back to the point I made earlier on, where people will behave in a certain way behind the keyboard that they never will in person as well. Um, there was one discussion, this is just in the last few hours, uh, where someone was sort of questioning how on earth the platform, how on earth I could think the platform's still the same after these cuts of people uh, and various other changes. I can't find my response now. But... Yeah, my response effectively boiled down to, well, it still loads the same for me. I still see the same amount of spam. Try putting crypto in a tweet, see how much shit you get back. That's still the same. I still get all that same crap. 
uh, I still have the same experience in terms of seeing my DMs and my mentions and things. And maybe some people don't like this, but my experience with the platform has not changed. I did inevitably get a bunch of responses referring to the fact, and somehow they worked this out, <laughs> they said, because of my race and my gender, my experience is different. And now that may very well be true as well. I don't really have much control over any of those things, so I can only go with what I actually experienced firsthand myself. But I can totally see how that would be very concerning to people. Now, anecdotally, and when I say anecdotally, this is just from the tweets I read. I've heard a bunch of people say that they've seen more hate speech, uh, and this is being attributed back to uh, a number of cuts in Twitter, particularly around content moderation teams. Now, that's that's a real problem. Uh, if people are seeing this sort of content tailored to them, first of all, that's absolutely horrific for them. Uh, second of all, that the, the challenge now for Twitter is defining what will actually fit inside of that hate speech category versus fitting inside that free speech category. And this is where a lot of the debate was with Gab last year. It's like, what is hate speech? What is free speech? Should you be able to say anything because free speech? And the likes of Gab would say, yes, you should be able to say anything. So, okay, well, what if I say that? Oh, no, you, you can't say that. Jeez, there are words we use in Australia the whole time. You can't even say that <laughs> on places like Gab. You get in trouble for that. Uh, so there's clearly a line, but there's a massive amount of subjectivity. And it's not going to be a comfortable line that everyone gets together and goes, oh, yeah, we think that's reasonable. You know, everyone reckons that's fine. So that's going to remain a problem. Let me look at the comments here. This is the comments. Uh, John says he has a history of saying untrue things. Um, look, I, I think he has a history of saying some pretty stupid things. I just made the comment about the, the Thai cave collapse and some of the SEC stuff. Why you go and smoke pot on a freaking Joe Rogan show as well? I mean, how's... I don't want to start a debate around legalised marijuana and all this sort of stuff, but in a position like that, come on. That's not good. That's not good. Brendan says, uh, I only went quiet because I was busy writing up a mail of thanks to a friend when I commissioned a four-panel comic for Demonstrate Leading It. All right, yeah, anyway, that's off topic. <laughs> thanks, Brendan. Um, I think it's just one of these things where we just have to wait and see how this pans out. I, I don't know if he'll be vindicated insofar as it will become more profitable and sustainable than what it is. I don't know if it will feel that it's it's a broader collection of, of voices, which will, of course, alienate some voices. I don't know if it will be more stable or have more features. He's obviously trying a bunch of stuff that's not working. Some of the verification stuff hasn't worked very well. He's chucked that out. Uh, I don't know if fail fast is actually a good strategy for a platform of that size, but it's kind of up to him now, isn't it? It's, he stumped up the cash. He owns the platform. Let's wait and see. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on past all the controversy. Uh, Let's get back to something less controversial. Data breaches. Axiom. Now, I had actually hoped that this would work out differently to what it has so far. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. So a little bit of history first with this data. So I got sent a uh, very large amount of data sometime last year, about a quarter of a billion rows. And when that data came through, uh, I took a look at it, more than 400 columns for each row, people data, allegedly from a data aggregator, uh, just an unfathomably large amount of data. 
50 plus million unique email addresses in it. Many of the rows didn't have an email address. And the data was attributed to a company called Axion. Now, just to sort of lead with the spoiler here, I believe this was misattributed. I don't believe it came from Axion. But it was a massive trove of data. And then we got through to the sort of the middle of this year and I saw it pop up on a popular hacking forum. More people started jumping up and going, hey, Troy, here's like the Axiom data. In fact, it was, it was uh, categorized as Axiom and LiveRamp. So LiveRamp was a property uh, associated to Axiom, which hasn't been for the last four years, but don't let that get in the way of a good story. Have you seen this data? And particularly when I sort of started seeing it on this hacking forum and people are exchanging it, you know, it's like, hey, I've got the Axiom data, you know, can I have it? Yeah, yeah, here's a copy of it. And there's just massive amounts of personal data floating around. Now, looking at it, it looked and felt pretty good. Now, what I mean by pretty good is it felt pretty legitimate, just eyeballing it. It didn't look generated. It looked very cleanly parsed, very, very neat. It had an air of authenticity. So um, I wanted to try and work out what was going on. And I sort of put it in the too hard basket for quite a while there because there was nothing in there to actually associate it to Axiom other than people saying it's Axiom. There were no clear indicators as to another source. Uh, it wasn't like a nice header saying, I stole this from such and such, you know, or a SQL map dump file or anything like that. So uh, it was a bit of a hard one to nail down. So I reached out to them and I dread reaching out to companies about a data breach. It is a thankless job uh, because for many, many reasons. <laughs> so number one is that they think you're trying to shake them down for money. Or number two, they think that maybe you're the person that breached it. And many of these discussions end up including three-letter acronym law enforcement agencies in their response, which is on the one hand, not great. On the other hand, at least I've got lots of contacts in all these agencies now, so I can always have a chat to them about it. But be that as it may, it's normally not something I like doing. These guys, though, were great. I got a really, really fast response. I ended up on a Zoom call with a bunch of people. We sat there. We had a good chat about it. They regularly have to deal with folks popping up and saying, I have your data. But they don't do it like that. It's normally like hacking communities. And then other people see this, and then it makes it look like this organization has had a data breach. Now, this is something that's a little bit close to my heart at the moment. <laughs> because of this stupid, stupid thing I spoke about last week, where there was literally a news story about have I been pwned, being pwned, purely on the basis of I got one of those generic ransom emails that many, many other people have gotten. We have hacked your website. We have all your data. Please give us $2,500 worth of Bitcoin now. And I tweeted this with a headline of you idiots, face palm. And 99 point something percent of people saw that and they went, you idiots, face palm. And then one person, who was definitely an idiot, picked it up and wrote a story about it saying that have I been pwned or been breached <laughs> because of that, which would have been fine if that's all it was, except I then had various other parties of different levels of importance. And I mean everything from like normal everyday consumers through to government departments, through to subscribers that actually pay have I been pwned money jumping up and going, hey, we've heard about this, what's going on? Now, easy explanation, because as soon as someone actually pays some attention to the story, it's pretty obvious that it was an absolute piece of garbage trash fire in the first place. But when it's the likes of Axiom, that's not so clear, because it's data that you look at and you go, well, 
okay, I see what they do. They're one of these data aggregators. They do operate legally. They have a valid, valid business model. I only hesitated because I still have a fundamental problem with the nature of data aggregators collecting this much information, but <laughs> legally operating. So I really wanted to sort of get to the bottom of it. And because that was so cool to talk to, I went, look, I do want to, I want to write this up. I want to write something not just about this data set, that should help you because then you can sort of say to people later on, look, Troy's gone and analyzed this, he's independently come to this conclusion, here it is. But I also want to create a very healthy suspicion around any alleged data breach from any source. I should talk about Twitter and WhatsApp as well. I'll do that at the end of this piece. So anyway, I went through and analyzed it. I ended up sending a bunch of emails to have I been paying subscribers in there. And uh, it was kind of fascinating to get feedback from them because the feedback I got, let me just get down to their responses. It was things like, I won't read it all because it's a bit detailed. Uh, things like, uh, yes, this is my information, but I have one child and not two children. Uh, or I haven't lived at that address for a long time. Or there was one case where it's like, well, this is actually the information. It's like, it's my email address, but this is a relative's information next to it. I almost find that one's the most fascinating one because if it's a clear match, well, then you just go, okay, yeah, well, it's obvious. If it's completely wrong information, you're like, well, they just, this is not legit. But associations, how do you make associations like that? Did two people come from the same IP address and some things kind of mapped them up? There was a column that was quite interesting, a column called URL, and it pointed to various different services online services that appear to be data collection points. And their, uh, their domain names like this, originalcruisegiveaway.com, uh, gadgetcenter.us.com, you're gonna flick through some random ones here, getcashhelp.com, coolsavings.com. And you sort of read these and every one of them feels like a, a sleazy financial product. You know what I mean? Like every one of these feels like pretty much what the screen grabs are when captured from archives at all, because most of these were now gone, which is like, hey, you can get something cheap or for free, or you can win a thing. Just leave us all your information, click here to agree the terms and conditions. We can do whatever the hell we want with your data. Yep, fine, good to go. Now, when I said before, I'd, I'd, I'd hope this would work out differently. Very often when I write about a data breach that I can't track down to a source, other people go and pull the threads and they help work it out. And there's multiple occasions in the past where I've written about that and I've done it. And I was hoping that that would be the case here. So far not. <laughs> so, so far, we don't actually have any responses here that have helped us figure it out. There's one person here who said, uh, this breach exposed an email address that I created specifically for ebags.com and never used anywhere else. What is actually on ebags.com? Uh, ebags.com is still there. Backpacks, bags, luggage, accessories. It's one data point. It's a little bit hard to kind of draw any conclusions from that. But look, I'd, I'd hoped we'd get a good answer from it. And, and unfortunately, uh, so far we haven't. Look, it might be one of these things also where much later in, in the future at some point, people do pull the thread a little bit more and get an answer to it. Roland's just said, I'm not sure how I feel about the Axiom breach. I'm not in it. Somehow I feel like I missed a party. Uh, well, Roland, first of all, you've got to be American. <laughs> so every, uh, and I'm not sure where you are in the world, but every record I found in there had an American state on it. So um, that, was, that was part of it. You had to actually uh, 
You had to be an American state, but then I made the point that one of the websites that appeared a lot was like getting cash loans in GBP in the UK. So I'm not quite sure. Not quite sure. Now, I mentioned um, Twitter and WhatsApp when I was talking about data breaches and misattributions. There's been two things that have been unfolding whilst I've been in the air on the way to Norway, and then I've been out trying to do family stuff and not do too much work, so I haven't paid a lot of attention to it. One of them is uh, an alleged uh, Twitter data breach, Chad Loder on Twitter, who I believe has now had his account suspended. I'm not sure of the reasons why, has, uh, has been reporting about an incident where he said, look, multiple threat actors were abusing an API to scrape a large amount of data. I was very cautious about sharing this, in, in part because I've just gone through the Axiom thing and I've seen the misattribution and I know that misattribution, I always knew misattribution could be damaging, but particularly off the back of that, I really, really just want to be sure about things like that before I share them. But also in part because I just wanted to know where it sat with this whole Musk takeover of Twitter, because this is precisely the sort of thing that people would love to grasp onto and say, see, he cut the security team and now this has happened. Now, it appears that this is a couple of years old, which I actually feel very relieved about because it, it doesn't sort of pour more fuel on the already burning fire, which is the current Twitter situation we've just spoken about. Uh, I need to find more information about this. I only have a very small part of the story and I'm just not sure if it's, if it's a big story or not. It appears to be a scraping-related issue. Same things popped up on WhatsApp. A story about 500 million WhatsApp accounts uh, appearing on a data breach forum being exchanged. Seems to be similar sorts of information. It, it looks like scraped data. It looks like phone numbers for WhatsApp uh, as opposed to other data uh, attributes. I'm just not entirely sure about the position of both of those. And also, and, and please tell me if I'm wrong or send me a link if I, if I haven't seen it, I haven't seen any statements from either company about that as well. So hopefully we'll see something from those folks. We'll figure out if this is legitimate or not and if it's something I need to carve out a bit of holiday time from uh, and process and have I been pwned. I saw a comment out here I missed before. Nick007 said, are you in an Airbnb or is it your Charlotte's place? Uh, we're in an Airbnb. So we are just not here enough to, to have a place here at the moment. Obviously, we, we did get stuck in Australia <laughs> for quite a bit. I kind of like the idea of having a place here. Norway is very much uh, a second home and it will be much more so for us and the kids over the coming years as well. Um, I've always loved being in Norway. Uh, before I had romantic reasons to love being in Norway. It's just, it's just a great place. Stay tuned, more photos coming. Last topic, uh, have I been pwned book? Now, because it's a holiday in America, apparently you got to discount stuff. <laughs> so Rob Connery, who did the book with Charlotte and I, said, uh, you should do a discount, we should do a discount for the pwned book. So we're not 30% off the price he said it's a Black Friday thing. I said, okay, cool. So do we put it out Friday? He's like, no, 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 you just do it all week. So why is it Friday? I oh, just do it all week. Okay, well, that's an American thing, right? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I come here and there's all these ads up for like Black Week, they're calling it here. So I think that's like a week of sales. Anyway, <laughs> Pwned, the book, is sitting up there for 30% off. Uh, please go and get it and have a read of it. It's, it. It is a labor of love from all three of us. 
Rick Sirius says, uh, Haha, it would have been better if Loader phrased it as a scraping operation. If I remember correctly, he's sticking to breaking massive data breach. <sighs> I was wondering if we'd get into this. I don't, I don't know him. I, like, I recognize the name, but I, I, I don't know the guy. So I, I, I have an entirely neutral position uh, on Chad Loader. I did find it the way it was phrased. And I think this is where Rick's just gone as well. Breaking massive data. It, it's, it did feel like a news headline. And, and to be honest, I think that's part of the reason I was just like, oh, does it be a little, a little bit cautious about the way I, uh, I respond to this. And, you know, this is, this is, I think, in general, one of our challenges in this industry where it's very easy to be sensationalist and I'm not saying this is necessarily the case with Chad because I haven't had a good read through the whole thing but it is very easy to be sensationalist around things like data breaches and we've seen many occasions in the past where organisations have even created very nice branded websites with logos and names specifically for this data breach like it was the heartbleed of data breaches or the uh, bug bat was it? Shell shock of, uh, of uh, data breaches and that worries me when a data breach becomes a marketing exercise because I think we then end up with incentives that maybe don't align with what we'd, uh, what we'd possibly prefer. Okay, folks, I'm going to wind it up there. Uh, we're going to go do a bunch of uh, Norwegian touristy things over the, the coming days, and uh, I will share a bunch of that on the social medias, of course, as always. I'll share it on Twitter. I won't share it on Mastodon. If you're on there, come and have a look at Twitter. Who knows? Maybe we'll all be on Mastodon later on. But for now, whilst it's there, keeping the lights on, uh, I'm going to stick with Twitter and keep pushing announcements like this and blog posts and stuff to Mastodon, and then we'll we'll just see. But I, I, I do hope that everyone can maybe maybe just be nice to each other, you know, on whatever platform you're using. There's, there's, there's no need for some of the way this is being communicated at the moment. Thank you very much, folks. I will see you uh, next week from Copenhagen.